This morning, the reading of our sermon is from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will, be, who will get ready for battle? So, with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to the people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord." Thus, tongues are, not, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, but for, not a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they, will they not say that they're out of their minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is, all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. 
the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Thank you, Josh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a hard text. Um, it's a misunderstood text. Um, we have a lot of thoughts about this text, I'm sure. And so, God, I pray that you would give us understanding, uh, that you would open our eyes and our minds to uh, behold the great things that you have to show us uh, from this chapter of your holy and perfect word. So teach us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I think a lot, a, a lot of what um, I guess is misunderstood in Christianity comes from, uh, to take some of the blame as the church at large, comes from the church comes from other believers rather than what people think of the church outside these walls or whatever walls that you're involved in, whatever church. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with passages like this um, that are dealing with a specific topic or a specific uh, gift that the church has been given. And so we misinterpret it or we misunderstand it, um, we misapply it, or we just ignore it. And so today's text is the beginning of the last chapter of this particular section in Paul's letter uh, that he's dealing with the spiritual gifts that the, church, uh, that, that the church has been given by God. And Paul begins this section, and it's probably titled in your copy of God's Word, uh, Spiritual Gifts, uh, by looking at the right use of these gifts. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure for some of you, during this small little mini-series within Paul's letter, you, you were probably hoping for a very detailed explanation of the gifts. You probably hoped that I would kind of walk through each one individually so you could figure out what your gift is. Maybe, if you remember in, in just uh, Christian culture, maybe you were hoping that we would give you some sort of spiritual gift test that you could go through and evaluate like a personality test or whatever to see which one best fits you, but I'm sorry and not sorry to disappoint you in that. But can I blame these subheadings once again? The subheadings in the Bible are some of my biggest pet peeves uh, because it, they are a bit misleading and can kind of take us off what, uh, what the intent of the actual passage is in the Bible. I think they are helpful. They're not inspired. They are helpful, but sometimes can be a bit misleading, I think, if we just kind of generally read a text and we think, oh, this is all about spiritual gifts, and what kind of spiritual gifts do I have, and um, do I believe in tongues, do I believe in prophecy, do I believe in these particular things? Um, because while Paul is speaking in relation to spiritual gifts, the main point of these three chapters has been, and, and the entirety of the letter of 1 Corinthians, has been unity order, and what is most important for building up the body of Christ, which is laid out in chapter 12. And then chapter 13, Paul contrasts the gifts that he talks about uh, with what the true authenticator of mature Christian faith is, which is love, the more excellent way that we looked at last week. And now in chapter 14, Paul comes back to the gifts dealing with, with two specific gifts that the Corinthians personally were enamored by. They thought these were the best gifts. And so Paul addresses them. 
And through Paul's teaching gift, he teaches his readers, and, and those readers include us today, three things concerning the building initiative that is to be ongoing within the church of Jesus Christ. So those three things are the, the call to build up the church with your spiritual gifts. Second is the danger of tearing down the church with your spiritual gifts. And then third is the beauty of a built-up church. So the call, the danger, and then the beauty. The first, the call to build up. Immediately in verse 1, if you notice, Paul brings together what he has been talking about in chapter 12 and chapter 13 when he says these words, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So the phrase here, spiritual gifts, and I'm sure is translated in the majority of the Bibles that you have right now in front of you, uh, this phrase can also be translated spiritual things. It's a good translation if you have it in your Bible. Um, And I think that translation gives more contextual clarity to what Paul is talking about here, but especially when we look at verses 26 through 40 next week. Because to say that spiritual people, chapter 12, verse 1, look this way, and this results in, in, or they look a certain way, and this results in certain spiritual things happening in, in and through spiritual people. We do not look like the world. Different things are going to be happening amongst us than, than is happening at your local gym or the coffee shop uh, or your workplace. So Paul says, do two things as spiritual people here. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual things. Specifically, he deals with two spiritual things, the gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues. And then he walks through the entirety of today's text, uh, contracting these two gifts to show us how we are to live as spiritual people. So I'm going to define both of these gifts for us because, uh, like I said earlier, there is a lot of confusion around these two particular gifts uh, that was happening in Corinth in the first century, but also happens now. A lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding. And particularly in chapter 14, it will be helpful in our application of this text as well. But before I get to these two gifts, I I want to reiterate, just so you're clear, that Paul's main point here is not necessarily definition. His main point is building up the church. And the primary way of doing this is by offering clarity and understanding and order. So I first want to give a brief explanation of spiritual gifts because you may not have either one of the gifts of prophecy or of speaking in tongues Uh, But this text still applies to you. In chapter 12, verse 11, Paul makes clear that the Holy Spirit gives each member of the body of Christ in the church a spiritual gift or a grace gift is what they're referred to as as well. So if you are a, a Christian, there are three things that Paul tells you are true about yourself from, from uh, chapter 12. And I went over these for, on the first sermon that I preached about uh, in this particular section is one, you have the Holy Spirit. 
as a Christian, you have been given the Holy Spirit. Two, because you have the Holy Spirit, you proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ over all of life. And three, you have a spiritual gift. So if you are a Christian, those three things are true about you. And Paul makes that very clear. Now, if you're taking all of the gifts that you find throughout the Bible, and they're, they're scattered throughout the New Testament uh, and in the Old Testament as well, but there are three main places that people typically pull these gifts from because they list a lot of gifts in them. One is, is chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Another one is Romans chapter 12. And then another one is Ephesians chapter 4. And then throughout the, the New Testament as well, they're, they're scattered throughout and different uses of these different gifts. But you'll notice when you begin to do sort of a, a light study on the spiritual gifts, you'll notice that they can be broken up or, or broken down into three clusters. And these three clusters are really easy to remember. They are prophetic, priestly, and kingly gifts. Prophetic, priestly, and kingly gifts. And so I'll just give you a, an example of, of where some of these fall. So you have prophetic gifts, which are the gift of preaching and teaching and prophecy, little p, and the gift of tongues. You have priestly gifts, which are gifts like the gift of hospitality and healing and pastoring or counseling. And then you have kingly gifts, which is the gift of administration or the gift of leadership or the gift of organization or the gift of, of helps, things like that. And so whatever gift you may think you have or believe that you have and that you're putting into practice, I want you to recognize that every gift that is given to the church is for the common good of the church. It is for the building up of the church. And so the, the best way that you learn what gift you have is, one, learning them from God's word. So even taking this list that, that, that you have before you uh, in these different passages of scripture and going through and, and really thinking through some of those things. Maybe you do want to do a deeper dive on one of those particular gifts because you may think you have that gift. Uh, but one, learning them from God's word Second is by practicing them, and the way in which you practice them is you are involved in a local body in which you can do that, and at the same time, as you practice them, you have people around you in that same local body who can also affirm those gifts in you or say, no, I don't think you have that gift. Let's, let's look at some other things that you're good at, and all of that happens within the local church. And so some of these gifts also, something that I, that I came across as I was doing a, a study on, uh, this week in this text, was some of the gifts that I listed here earlier from the Bible are actually commands. They're actually gifts that we should all be practicing. Whether you would say you're gifted in them or not, or you're good at them or not, um, in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Two gifts there mentioned, giving and hospitality. Two gifts that Paul is not saying, hey, if you have the gift of giving, then you should probably give. If you have the gift of hospitality, you should probably ha start having people over to your house. No, Paul is saying this 
to the entire church. Give and show hospitality. It's a command. So there you go right there. If you are unsure of, oh, I don't know if I have gifts, there's two right there that you already have and that you probably already practice, knowing a lot of you. Now, in our current passage, Paul is honing in on the two gifts of prophecy and tongues that do fall into this prophetic category of those three clusters. Prophecy is seen in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Moses being the first prophet, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And then these prophets that we, that we see throughout the Old Testament were, were ones who consistently called Israel. They were speaking into God's people's lives, and they consistently called them back to the promise that God had made with them. We saw this when we walked through the, through the, uh, the book of Genesis um, the, these past three years. We saw that the, that the prophets were continually pointing the people back to the promises that God had made to them, the gospel promise. And they did this by calling them to repentance because they were in this constant cycle of falling back into sin and repenting and following, following God once more and then falling back into sin. So calling them to repentance, to turn from their idols, and to seek God. That's what the prophets of old did. Now, as we move into the New Testament era, this office of prophets that we see in the Old Testament ceases because this particular office of prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, long ago at, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So prophecy today and as Paul explains it, is intelligible speech by which God causes people to repentance and faith through his word. Through his word. So remember that last part, through his word. So it's not the same as we see in the Old Testament era. It doesn't have the same authority since the prophets of the Old Testament spoke words inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is why we have books of the Bible uh, named Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Malachi. Those are prophets of old. And they sought to bring God's authoritative revelation to God's people. And so you have that in your copy of God's word. Hopefully, you should have a copy of the Old Testament and New Testament. So we would call this sort of prophecy that we see are, are, are prophets in the Old Testament, capital P prophecy, that was completed in Jesus, the direct word of God. And what Paul is now talking about, we would call little p prophecy. I know those aren't technical words, you know, but big P prophecy, little P prophecy. So understanding this distinction helps us to avoid the danger of saying things like, God told me to tell you. If anybody ever approaches you with that, automatically be suspicious before anything else comes out of their mouth. Or saying things, I have a word from the Lord for you. Be suspicious, red flag before anything else comes out of their mouth. 
Because unless these words are followed up with words from the scriptures, then they're not a form of little p prophecy that Paul is speaking about, but some sort of untruth or a special word from that particular person that is probably going to serve them rather than serving you. So according to this definition of prophecy, of little p prophecy, it's a gift that is available to everyone. And according to Paul specifically. Because it's not something that takes place primarily behind this pulpit. This is why Paul says in verse 1, to desire the spiritual things, and then he finishes that sentence with, especially that you may prophesy. And then also in in, in verse 5 of our text, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And then later in verse 39, he says, he finishes out chapter 14 with earnestly desire to prophesy. So this is a pretty good indicator that Paul views this sort of prophecy as actually more helpful than speaking in tongues. And we'll get to why that is in just a minute here. But, but, but first we need to, to define what speaking in tongues is. And now I know, just to preface this, I know there is a lot of debate around this particular gift. I know there's probably within this room uh, differences uh, about how we apply that. There might be differences of whether or not this gift has ceased to exist or whether it continues on or whether these are heavenly languages or they're human languages. I know all of that exists, okay? I am not unaware of that. So I'm, I'm going to try to narrow it down for us, and some of this is where I land as a pastor, but I'm, I'm saying there's certain things, too, that you can, you can land elsewhere, and you'll be okay, all right? So just, just in case you're freaking out a little bit uh, or you're confused by that, I want you to know that it's okay. It's a difficult topic, but I'm going to try to walk, walk us through this pastorally and try to give us the best help that I can possibly give you from God's Word today. So... Uh, Like I said, this is probably the the most controversial gift, but also at the very same time, the most misunderstood gift there is. And I believe a lot of this happens because this gift has been, like I said earlier in the service, mishandled and misapplied. That's probably how the majority of you have seen it practice, possibly, is in a a mishandled or misapplied way. Meaning there are, there are some traditions out there who, who believe in this gift, who practice this gift, but they also see this gift as a sign of a truly spiritual person. Meaning, a truly saved person by God speaks in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, therefore you are not a true Christian, which is nowhere in the Bible, which is a lie and made up by a theological tradition that is not camped out in the scriptures, just so you know. But if it's not that, then what is it? So the word tongues here in the Greek can mean both the actual part of your body, your tongue that is in your mouth, and also having to do with human language, meaning Hebrew, 
Greek, English, French, Chinese, uh, Farsi, uh, whatever languages out there that we haven't discovered yet. This is what this particular word is referring to. So just like prophecy, tongues are something that we see throughout the Old and New Testament as well, this, this use of the word tongues. Uh, one of the most obvious places that most of us will be familiar with in the Old Testament is when we see different types of tongues being introduced into creation in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, a, a familiar story to, I'm sure, many of us. But I'll, I want to read just a portion of chapter 11, Genesis 11 just so we have some context. And the Lord said, you know, they're building a tall tower. They're building it to the heavens. They want to make a name for themselves. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they, they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of all the earth. And they left, off, they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So within this specific use of foreign tongues being spoken uh, or used, uh, like prophecy we see in the Old Testament, it, it, we see it here as a means of judgment, so prophecy in the Old Testament was primarily a means of judgment when you heard prophecy happening. Uh, in the Old Testament, when you see the use of tongues in this way, it is usually by a means of judgment. But in the New Testament, we see the use of tongues as a means of redemption, a, a gospel work, a gospel proclamation. The, uh, the many different languages in the world that Paul talks about in verse 10 carry real information gospel content and mysteries of the gospel are proclaimed. And this is most seen, obviously seen, in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. And here's just a portion of that. This is when the Holy Spirit comes to the church. It is Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes, and then the church, the, the, the early church is born. And this is part of that in Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya uh, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Amen. And this scene in Acts... And many in this scene would have been familiar with the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And this scene in Acts has been called a reversal of the judgment that happened at Babel. For now, the tongues are being used in a way to bring unity around the gospel and within the global church. 
So the New Testament pattern is that tongues are languages miraculously spoken by those who are not familiar with those particular languages. So in verse 10 of our text, Paul says, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. Meaning there is not a a language that is just gibberish and that has a special code that you have to break into. Um, In my opinion, uh, Paul is saying there are many languages throughout the world and all of them have some sort of interpretation. We may not know them yet, but they all can be interpreted. They can all be understood. So this language would either be understood by a native speaker or interpreted by a member of the community who had been given the gift of interpretation of that particular language, uh, which which both are signs of God's power. We saw it here in Acts chapter 2. They're declaring the mighty works of God simply because of this practice of tongues. Now, Paul, since some of you who are thinking back to uh, chapter 13, verse 1, uh, Paul does mention in chapter 13, verse 1, uh, whether I speak in tongues of men or tongues of angels. And some of you are thinking there's a heavenly language. There's an angelic language that we don't speak on earth, um, which that could be true. I, I don't believe that's exactly what Paul is getting at there, um, but I think, I think it's more likely that, that Paul is using some hyperbole in that particular verse um, to make his point about the more excellent way. Uh, it's not altogether clear. So it's open-handed for me in that particular moment. But what is clear is that from the scriptures is human languages being spoken in a way when interpreted correctly are a help in building up the church. So Paul takes these two gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and contrasts them to make the greater point of what builds up the church of Jesus Christ. Because that's Paul's main intent. That's the main thing that Paul wants to get across here. So in these 25 verses and even into the the end of the chapter, Paul gives some sort of reference to building up the church um, six, seven, eight times. So the idea of building up is woven into the fabric of this discussion and lets us know uh, Paul's intent for the church. When he uses this phrase that that, that could be translated, this this phrase building up, and it could be translated edify, that might be what you have in your scriptures as well, he's actually using an architectural term that literally means to build a house or erect a building. So Jesus uses this same word in Matthew chapter 7 when he is giving the parable of the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock. It's the same word that he's using there, that we should build our house upon the rock, that which will stand forever. But it's also a phrase that Paul has already woven into uh, throughout his letter. In chapter 8, verse 1, he says, now concerning food offered to idols, something else that they struggled with, we know that all of us possess knowledge. All of us have a ton of knowledge. Might be a gift of ours. But this knowledge can puff up. But love builds up. Love edifies. Chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Not all things edify the body. And this imagery also calls to mind 
Paul's words uh, in another letter he wrote to uh, the Ephesians in chapter two of that particular letter. He says, so then you are no longer uh, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So even using household language, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So all of this, all of these verses combined indicates that that we are always to be striving to do one thing within this body of believers that God has called us into communion with. And that is building this body up. Doing that which is most helpful to the growth and maturity of the believers uh, in Christ in this place. That is our intent. So the whole point Paul is trying to make is not do I have the gift of prophecy? Or do I have the gift of tongues? Or do I have the gift of preaching or administration? Or even if any of these gifts have ceased or they're continuing on today. That's not Paul's point. The matter is, are the gifts being used in such a way that the person and work of Jesus Christ are made more clear to people? Both Christians and non-Christians. And that's the test, right? That's the test if your gift is being used appropriately. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ being made more clear or less clear in your interactions with others? This is why Paul makes the distinction he does between tongues and prophecy in chapter 14. If one speaks in a tongue and no one understands, Paul is saying, it is of no use to anyone present except the one speaking, possibly. Uh, On the other hand, in verse 3, prophesy because it is a clear word of edification, encouragement, and consolation or comfort, uh, and it's something that clearly builds up the body of Christ because it is a clear message. No interpretation needed. And you probably practice this gift of prophecy more than you actually realize. One, because you probably think, well, I'm not a prophet. I'm not Isaiah. And we already know that that's, that's no longer exists, but we do prophesy more than we realize. You may have done it already in the lobby this morning with a brother or sister in Christ. They may have needed your encouragement from the word, and so you offered a word of encouragement from God's word to them in that moment. Or maybe it's the, a word of consolation or comfort to a friend who is struggling, who has lost a loved one. Or maybe he had a hard week at work and you're able to speak truth over them from God's word. Maybe you've rebuked a friend who is in sin, and so you've had to say, hey, in Scripture it says this, and I don't see you lining up with that. You need to turn from that. Or maybe you've built up your child, and you've read a promise over them before they go to bed at night from God's word. You prophesied. Uh, Joshua and Matthew both did that for us when they stood behind this podium over here this morning, when they sort of riffed a little bit on the, the passages being read. They gave us a word of prophecy, a promise from God's word. 
And this is why I believe Paul says in verse 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues. I want you all to have that gift. But even more, I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And this happens through clear, biblically accurate, gospel-infused words. And I can't stress that enough. Clear, biblically accurate, gospel-infused words that we all have access to because we have the Bible. So Paul says in verse 12, yes, there is nothing wrong with your eagerness to have these gifts. So before he's rebuking them, so Paul is kind of uh, rightly aligning them with what true reality is, something Matthew said earlier, capital R, or what Hunter said earlier, capital R, reality, and saying, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good to boast about them. It's not good to, to downgrade people because they don't have them, but it is good to, to desire them and to have this eagerness for them if your goal is to build up the body of Christ. And so part of that is, is striving after them. Your, your, your striving is not to make a name for yourself, but your striving is to do just that, to build up the church. And part of this striving includes recognizing the potential misuse of gifts that you may have and the danger of tearing down the church with those gifts. So look at verses 6 through 11 in chapter 14. Paul says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anybody, anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So the first danger to be aware of when using your spiritual gifts uh, and, and what can have a part in tearing apart a church is that the saints are not being built up. Christians are not being encouraged and challenged from God's word. And the problem within this is a selfish use of your gift, looking out for yourself. Uh, how does this serve me? What does this do for me? Verses 9 through 11, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air, Paul says. And just like Paul said in chapter 13, that without love, it's all meaningless. It's all empty. It's good for no one. And what this does is not only does it, does it have a, take apart uh, the church and maybe split the church or tear apart the church or tear down the church or whatever it is, but it also causes isolation to the individual practicing that particular gift because they've drawn a pretty tight circle around them. 
which is what some in Corinth were doing. They were drawing this tight circle to say, hey, look, if you don't speak in tongues or you don't prophesy, uh, you're not on our level. You're not invited into the circle. And so if you don't meet the standard, you're not welcome. Now, um, I've seen this a lot within our theological circle, the Reformed circles that, that we uh, are involved in, the Reformed stream in which we swim theologically. Um, and so I, I, can, I will speak to that because that's, that's, where, that's where we are, that's where I am, and I can speak to it because I see men and women in these circles who tend to have a lot of knowledge, they read a lot of books, they listen to a lot of podcasts. They take classes. And they use their knowledge more to argue and win a position, whether that be Calvinism's true and whatever else in the world is not true argument. And they use their knowledge to win a position rather than building up the body of Christ. And this is true for all the gifts, not just tongues, not just prophecy, but all the gifts. The gift of preaching or teaching could be used to appear smart or to become famous or to impress people with your eloquent words. Uh, the gift of hospitality could, can be abused if, if the only people you welcome into your home or into this church are those you are most comfortable with or who only feed your ego, or who only meet your cool criteria. And those are the people you're drawn to. Some of you may have done that this morning. Or maybe in the same realm of hospitality, maybe you only welcome people on your terms. <clears throat> so you think, you can come over to my house, because the Bible tells me that, that I have to do that. Don't you dare make a mess. Don't you dare sit on my expensive furniture. Don't stay too long. I'm guilty of that. And then just like our misuse of tongues or prophecy, our hospitality, our preaching, our administration, or whatever gift you think you may have, becomes unintelligible. It is a speaking into the air. It is of no use to anyone. And this is why Paul says in verses 18 through 19, that while he can speak in tongues, and I love the way Paul just talks to the Corinthians, he's essentially saying, and I'm really good at it. I'm better than all of you. I do a better job at it. I know what I'm doing. I do it correctly. Paul is laying it out before him. He says, even though I can do that well, and it is a benefit to the church, I would rather speak less words, five words, Paul says, that were intelligible, that were easy to understand, that were gospel and true, than 10,000 words that were unintelligible. Why? Why is Paul so serious about that? It's because Paul is of utmost importance to Paul is to instruct others in the gospel and to build up the body of Christ. That's Paul's intent. That's Paul's goal. That's his main point throughout Corinthians, to be a unified body in a fractured world. 
Now, before you get on your high horse and you're sitting there and you're saying, well, see, this is why tongues have ceased because they're unhelpful. This is why you shouldn't speak in tongues because there's so much confusion. I mean, look, even Paul is saying that. But I just want to clear that up for you that Paul, throughout all of the scriptures, never disparages speaking in tongues. He never looks down on it in a negative way. He never says it's going to go away. Paul truly believed that tongues, prophecy, healing, things like that, were all going to last until Jesus returned. What Paul does disparage, though, and what's most important to us, is the misuse of those gifts. So the first result is a lack of edification of the saints, a lack of edification for the Christian. The second result is that non-Christians don't hear the gospel. And so we see this in a a kind of a trickier part of, of our text in verses 20 through 23. Look there with me. Let's read that again. When Paul says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written... By people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are, not, are, are a sign not for, uh, for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And I'm sure a lot of us have seen, has seen that sort of practice of the gift of speaking in tongues. And where we look at it and go, they're out of their minds. And some are rightly so. I've seen some of you like to send me uh, heretical churches to get me going. You know, how that, you know how it makes me angry and it gets me like riled up. And so some of these I've seen and you're like, yeah, they are out of their mind from what we can tell. And so in verse 20, Paul says that, that their current thinking, uh, the Corinthians' current thinking about the gift is childish. It's immature. And then he goes on in verse 21 to give them a biblical example uh, from Isaiah chapter 28, a prophet, verses 11 through 12. And we read almost the entirety of that earlier in the service today. Now, just to give you some context of Isaiah 28, this is a judgment against the northern kingdom of Israel. The the kingdom has been divided, and this is the northern kingdom of Israel, and a judgment is coming against them because the priests and prophets would not listen to Isaiah's message. You could say they would not listen to Isaiah's language, his clear gospel communication to them. What they they literally said that Isaiah's language was like baby talk. It was just babbling, and they would not listen, even though it was their language. And because they won't listen to the language of Isaiah, which is clear and intelligible, easy to understand, the judgment would now come from Assyria, whose language they do not speak. It's a language they would not understand. And so what Paul is saying with, this, with, the, with the example of this um, from Isaiah, is the same type of situation is happening in the church in Corinth. Outsiders, unbelievers, they don't understand the language, and because of that, 
they're judged rather than helped. They feel outside of the circle in, in, in a lot of ways. They're not being invited in to hear this clear message of the gospel, and so they feel judged and unwanted and unwelcome by God's people. Because to use our gifts selfishly and unintelligibly is to turn them on their heads. It's why Paul says what he says in verses 22 through 23. Thus tongues are, not assi- are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So they have, they have turned all of this around. Speaking in tongues when they should be prophesying offering chaos and confusion and ultimately judgment instead of being drawn near to God. They're being driven away simply because of misuse of gifts. They are repelled by the gospel because they believe Christians, as Paul puts it, to be off their rocker and they want no part of that. So we need to be a people who use our gifts in a way that builds up the church by ensuring that our gifts are intelligible both to outsiders, those outside the church, and those inside the church. So that we display the beauty of a church being built up upon not our gifts, not our personalities, not on a preacher, not on programs, but upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of a church built up in this way only happens when the body is functioning as it should, as Paul has been describing. There are many different parts. All have their part to play within the body of Christ and all should be used correctly and none of them should be despised. There is not one gift that God gives to the church that we can say is less important than another. It might be less seen, but it's not less important. So remembering chapter 12, verse 12, which I think is one of the more important verses within this section of Paul's letter, is that God himself arranged us as he has chosen us and given us the gifts and parts we need in our life together as the body of Christ. And the way we see this plainly and what keeps us on track, Paul says, is this more excellent way of love? And what Paul tells us to do in verse one, again, pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. Because these are working together, at least they should be, working together to declare the good news about Jesus Christ. And the results of this are seen in verses 24 and 25 of our text. But if all prophesy, and we could say, if all are using their gifts correctly, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So when our gifts that God has given to us as the church 
are used for the edification of the church, the result is that the message of the gospel rings clear and true. Conviction of sin, that's a, that's, a, that's a right response to the preaching of the gospel. It's conviction of sin. So if you feel guilty over your sin right now and you're kind of reeling over it, that is a, that is a normal feeling that you should be having in a congregation like this that is proclaiming the gospel clearly. You're being convicted of sin. God is convicting you of sin. So conviction of sin, and then there's a call to respond to that, which is repentance and faith. And to consider the things that you have seen and heard, which I hope have all been relatively clear to everyone in the room. And the result of this is probably the best response someone could make, which is falling on their face, worshiping God, and declaring that he is, a wor- he is at work among us. And this is a key factor to God's work among us, that this is happening in people's lives. Maybe it's happening for the first time. Maybe it's happening for the 100th time. But that should be happening on a regular basis. And I know that we have a hard time even clapping in this church sometimes. um, But falling on your face is an appropriate response. Declaring who God is, that he is at work, is an appropriate response. And I've said this before. The world is watching the church. And they're not standing outside, you know, Augusta Prep here and watching us right now. But as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the gym, as you interact with people on the phone or in text messages or on, online and social media or whatever avenue that you have that you are before people who are not believers, the world is watching, especially if you are declaring yourself a believer. And, as Francis Schaeffer always said, they have a right to judge Christianity based upon your life, and our life together. And that's Jesus' own words. They will know that we are Jesus' disciples, and this, is, this isn't just to the 12 disciples. This is to everyone who calls on the name of Christ. You are a disciple of Jesus. They will know we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. They will know we are disciples by the way in which we live our life together according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in this fractured world. And what they should be seeing is a people who have been radically transformed and are now, at the same time, radically dependent upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you are, you are a good God to us. You are not spiteful. You are not out uh, for our worst. You are uh, not a God that we have to earn our uh, love from uh, or toward, but that you have given it all for us, all for your broken creation. 
You, you are, you are uh, through Christ, making all things new in this world, but also in our hearts. You are, you are mending our broken hearts. You, you are ridding uh, the, the hostility that we once had in our own hearts towards you um, through Christ. And so, God, I pray as, as this reality, this truth, continues to, 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 to make its way into our congregation, to, to con- continue to, to vibrate through uh, our own minds and our own hearts and our own lives, that the gospel would be made clear. That our gifts, when we use them, would be used to build up this body that you have brought together uh, through your sovereign work. And that as a watching world looks, they would see a people changed. And that they would declare the goodness of God in their own lives. And so we are thankful that only through Christ does this happen. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.